Hi, this is Jill Harrison, Executive Director of the National Institute on Aging Impact Collaboratory at Brown University. Welcome to the Impact Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speakers and ask them the interesting questions that you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of the companion Grand Rounds content can be found at impactcollaboratory.org. Thanks for joining. Good afternoon or good morning, wherever you are. My name is Vince Moore. On behalf of myself and co-director of the NIA Impact Collaboratory, Dr. Susan Mitchell, I'd like to welcome everyone to our Grand Rounds now in its six months. The mission of the Impact Collaboratory is to build the nation's capacity to conduct pragmatic clinical trials of interventions embedded in healthcare systems for persons living with dementia and their caregivers. These monthly Grand Rounds are meant to promote that mission through knowledge dissemination and fostering dialogue across the wider community of investigators and stakeholders. Today's presentation is from Drs. Eric Larson and Leah Hansen, who direct the Healthcare Systems Corps and two of their executive committee members, Drs. David Rubin and Jeff Williamson. They'll be doing a tag team on the topic, Breaking the Cycle, Healthcare Systems Interactions for Impactful Results. Okay, so uh, Eric, I'm going to turn it over to you for, um, for your beginning of your discussion. Thanks, Vince. Uh, this is Eric Larson out in Seattle, uh, and I co-direct this core with Leah Hansen uh, from the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Uh, we believe that the upside of pragmatic trials uh, in finding better ways to care for persons with dementia is extremely high. Uh, for decades, really, there's been a slurry of publications and knowledge uh, generated from clinical research about how best to care for persons with dementia. But we're struck by the fact that the field hasn't really been populated with elements that you could say broadly, this really works, or this is ready for implementation and widespread dissemination. And that was brought out by a recent evidence practice center review done for the National Academy of Medicine and the National Institutes on Aging, stating that there were very few studies that passed the evidence-based criteria for believable and implementable results, in spite of the fact that there have been thousands of papers. So what, what this says to me is that we really need to uh, succeed in the mission of the Impact Collaboratory, which is to develop the evidence base and the methods that will lead to better uh, dissemination. One of the things we've learned over the last 10 or so years, uh, thanks to Francis Collins and the director's office at NIH, is that pragmatic clinical trials can be fielded and can be used to generate the kind of information that leads to implementation and ultimately to improvement in care and health. And over the years, uh, a team of us here at, at, at Kaiser in association with the team at Duke have been able to learn how to work within healthcare systems and create the partnerships that we, that we need. So in my view, and, and I started in this field back when I was a, a, a very junior faculty and we didn't know what was right, uh, the field is ripe for exactly what the impact collaboratory is aiming to produce. Vince, I hope that answers your question about how we got started on this on this uh, on this grand rounds. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Um, Leah, do you want to sort of talk about how this relates to the broader healthcare systems research network that you and Eric have been part of uh, 
along with Jeff and uh, David in the last uh, for the last decade? Yes, I'd be happy to, Vince. Thank you. Um, I'm from Health Partners, uh, located in Minnesota, and we collaborate with um, institutions across the nation, part of this healthcare research um, network. network. And one of the, the great things about thinking about a pragmatic trial is a shared data model that we use across our systems, which we can hopefully leverage um, in, in conducting these trials. One of the things that I think came out of our discussion on the grand rounds was just thinking about the limitations in the data we collect for persons living with dementia and their caregivers and how that could be a challenge um, in doing these types of studies. And I'm wondering, um, specifically since we have Jeff and David joining us, if, if they could address that, that issue of pragmatic data versus the data needed to be collected uh, for research in order to answer these questions. David, Jeff, Jeff, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, thank you, Leah. That's a very important uh, question and observation. I think most people will recognize uh, immediately that I'm sort of a, been a, for most of my life, a traditional clinical trialist, like most of us actually in this field. One of the reasons for the problem that uh, Eric and you have uh, already observed is that a lot of the uh, outcomes that we're interested in in the impact collaboratory may not even be in the uh, electronic data sets, but a lot of the things that impact these outcomes are. And so one of the things that I think will come out of this collaboratory is truly what the name of our group is, a collaboratory that can leverage both pragmatic data, but also occasionally have to uh, use some traditional methods for obtaining some of those outcomes like a physical function and cognitive function, which are often not very well uh, characterized, at least in their subtleties in the electronic health record. And I, th I hope that as we, move, as we go along, we'll be able to uh, advocate for better inclusion of these important outcomes in the electronic health record. Traditionally, uh, electronic health records have been great at including cancer outcomes or cardiovascular disease-based outcomes, but many of the things we're interested in here are uh, care provision, uh, care reception, physical and cognitive function outcomes, and those uh, the electronic health record needs some help uh, in ascertaining. And if I could uh, echo that, uh, Jeff is absolutely right here. I think we're, where the electronic health record is currently limited, and this doesn't need to be the future of the electronic health care record, is really uh, in collecting data that matter to people. Uh, clinical symptoms, quality of life, well-being, these are not elements that are routinely collected in clinical care. Uh, where it's exceptionally valuable are things like utilization, um, uh, testing, maybe even pharmacologic therapy, those kind of things. But subjective, uh, personal, um, goal-oriented uh, types of care just are not collected right now. If I could just add one other thing uh, to this, uh, traditional clinical trials are not very good at this either. Probably the last uh, decade or two decades of my career, I've been, uh, so to speak, on the battlefield trying to include cognitive outcomes and functional outcomes in traditional clinical trials, which have also mainly focused on disease-based outcomes or death. And so um, 
it's not that traditional clinical trials are doing it well either versus pragmatic trials. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to make that point. So uh, that's a really great point. And I want to just ask, um, so when you, in a pragmatic trial, you want to try to embed the intervention and all, and all of its uh, complexity as much as possible into the infrastructure that it's that's inherent or that exists in the healthcare system already. And one key part of that is identifying who is a candidate for the participation in the study. Um, and so the question is, 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 the, is the electronic medical record appropriate or is it good enough to identify the people with dementia in, most, in many healthcare systems? And then secondly, Jeff and, and, uh, and David, maybe you can respond, or uh, Leah and, uh, and Eric as well, the extent to which that is also applicable to the caregiver and whether that person can be identified in any reasonable way from the electronic medical record. Uh, this is Eric, and I'd, I'd be happy to start answering the question. The electronic health record can be used to find people who have dementia based on codes and other things. But by and large, it is lacking in sensitivity because so many persons in whatever electronic health record you're looking at are not identified well in that. More importantly, though, the challenge in caring for persons with dementia or pragmatic trials in case finding, if you will, in dementia is that they go, uh, uh, people with living with dementia typically go from system to system to system. So in, a, in an integrated system like Kaiser, we may have very good tracking of the same person over many years, and that can be a rich way to identify people, albeit not, not by any means perfect. Uh, but if you're out in other systems, and even in Kaiser, uh, where people go to uh, adult family homes uh, or other places which may be uh, under contract with the healthcare system, uh, there may not be anything that even resembles an electronic health record. Uh, and again, you end up using claims. And claims are okay, but uh, they probably are not nearly as good as the data that would be in an electronic uh, healthcare record. I can say a little bit more about that. Uh, we have uh, used uh, electronic uh, health record to identify people. We've done it with ICD codes. We've done it with uh, medications. We've done it with natural language processing. Uh, and you can do it. Uh, you can do it. It is not, uh, it is not perfect. Uh, it, um, there are errors, and it may not be sufficient if you're trying to recruit for a, a clinical trial, say, that you may need additional efforts to do so. With respect to your second question, which I think is uh, exceptionally interesting about the caregiver, uh, that uh, in, in no health system that I have seen is that readily identifiable. Even if you were to do manual review of charts, that information frequently is not readily identifiable. So those are, uh, the caregivers basically in our electronic health records and many of the ones I've seen are absolutely invisible. Yeah, just to, just to add on, uh, ratifying everything that's been said, uh, an excellent editorial, by the way, in the Annals of Internal Medicine this week talking about the, some of the deficiencies in the current generation 
of the electronic health record. It is disease-centered and billing-centered, but not patient-centered for the most part now. And so we're losing the story. And the story of human beings is really what's really important uh, for much of the work we're doing. And so that doesn't mean it can't be that. Uh, But again, I hope the collaboratory will begin to highlight there's a different kind of data that needs to be collected uh, to help us with these very important caregiver outcomes and uh, patient-centered outcomes that, that have not traditionally been included thus far. That's a really good good point um, because this this is actually a real challenge for uh, there are actually some of the work that actually um, did moderately pass muster in the uh, AHRQ uh, systematic review that was done for the evidence-based group. There were some caregiver interventions that were um, helpful in by and large reducing stress and strain and helping the caregiver cope with some, with a patient with advanced disease. And yet, if we can't find them uh, in the healthcare system or they're not routinely there, um, the process for recruiting them becomes very complicated. And that means that um, it's going to be less pragmatic. And the question is, would a healthcare system, for instance, like Kaiser, take on the problem? Let's say... Uh, we, we were able to say that, yes, a caregiver intervention really worked and it really made a difference in the lives of the, the caregiver plus the lives of the patient. But that in order to do that, you have to spend a lot of time reaching out and having supplemental information for the caregiver. Would Kaiser or partners actually say, yes, well, let's, let's do that. This is important. Eric, Leah, what do you think? This is Eric. I, I, I think the answer is yes. Uh, and part of the reason for the answer is we know that the person living with dementia and the caregiver are a dyadic unit. And some of our own research has demonstrated that the challenges of people who become demented without a caregiver uh, or without living alone, for example. And I think through research, integrated delivery systems are beginning to learn that things like legal next of kin other ways of recording information will eventually allow uh, the recognition of a caregiver. But I'm not disagreeing with David or Jeff that the electronic health record as currently written makes that easy. It has to be a policy decision. And I think uh, clearly when people in a system like Kaiser and probably health partners are identified as demented, uh, the standard of practice is really to make people aware of Uh, who the caregiver is. Now, I can't tell you that it's systematically recorded in a box that you can immediately pull up uh, without NLP or something like that. But uh, I think over time, that's going to become the standard of practice. And Vince, I think this gets really to one of the priorities of our core is that when we conduct research within healthcare settings, we really have to know that the values align because doing something like that requires extra effort on part of the the clinical care team or the operations. And while I I think, yes, it's definitely thought to be important and a priority, you also have to weigh that against all of the other priorities in primary care and in the memory clinic and all of the other chronic diseases that are being managed. So I think that's the the issue. We're really trying to 
in our core plan to bring together groups that have this as a priority and bring together care settings like um, the learning health systems, um, integrated care delivery like Kaiser and Health Partners, and figure out how can we best do that? How can we do that in a way that works within workflow, doesn't add burden, and really have that value proposition um, for, for the institution? So, David, if I'm going to shift to you, you uh, presented a, a wonderful trial uh, that was uh, collected lots of really important um, data about the, both the family member, the caregiver, as well as the patient in terms of their outcomes that presumably would matter to them. But um, there were a lot of them. How, when you were actually designing that or thinking about, uh, about how to put that, that package together in this large consortium group that you have, how, how did you actually balance this issue of what, how much is pragmatic and how much is, uh, is all this data collection going? And how would you then ultimately say to capture what's important out of this for the future? Uh, and would you suggest to a healthcare system, your own healthcare system, that they try to embed some of these kinds of elements in the electronic medical record? Yes, uh, that's a great question. So as much as possible, we tried to rely on um, what was already there, uh, but we found that, as we mentioned earlier, there was there was a lot that wasn't there. And I, I think that you know, as healthcare systems begin to address uh, dementia and dementia care systematically, there is great opportunity to make the electronic health re- care record uh, much more robust in terms of the data. That will take time. That will that will definitely take time. Uh, in terms of um, deciding what measures to collect in addition, this was an interesting process. Uh, we came in with a relatively minimal set of measures that uh, we knew were responsive to the interventions that we were uh, launching. And then as we opened it up to stakeholders and our study advisory committee and additional investigators, um, Everybody uh, had another uh, thing they wanted to measure. And then when we submitted the grant to the National Institute on Aging, they had additional things they wanted to measure. And one of the critiques said, you know, with all this effort, why aren't you collecting more data? So uh, <laughs> so, um, so it, it's tough. It, it is a, it is a, a tightrope that you walk uh, between three things. One is what you're uh, able to uh, collect easily from uh, like the electronic health record and claims data to what you think is important to be measured, you know, what, what really matters. And three is, is respondent burden, because the more you burden your respondents, uh, the less likely you are to get comprehensive and complete data. So it, it is a tightrope and you have to make uh, some decisions yes to some and no to others. So, Eric, you have been leading the healthcare systems core for the NIH Collaboratory for a number of years now, and so have had a, um, a particularly insight to a variety of different large pragmatic trials that have been done um, under the auspices of the NIH Collaboratory. Um, what is your experience with this kind of balancing act that David describes between uh, lots of primary data collection versus less primary data collection in the context of pragmatic trials. How, how have those debates and discussions gone from your perspective? 
It's a really good question. And uh, one of the goals of the uh, Common Fund Collaboratory has been to create generalizable knowledge. And I think we're beginning to have some of that knowledge with regard to fielding uh, pragmatic uh, clinical trials. The first, uh, well, first of many, really, that I can think of is, is relationship building. And as Leah mentioned earlier, finding a shared values that says you're asking a question, looking for an answer that's of value to the research team and will be of value to the delivery system. And uh, it's real clear to me that the trials in the original uh, pragmatic trials, the healthcare systems collaboratory that, that had the easiest run, either had a prior relationship or developed a really strong relationship with their partners on the clinical side. Another piece that we learned is that uh, healthcare systems are dynamic. They're changing a mile a minute some of the times to respond to, for example, the, the pandemic. Uh, and suddenly something is very important that, that may uh, crowd out the, the interest of the, of the team doing the, the trial. And the key there is to have a strong relationship and to expect the unexpected, if you will, and that unexpected can range from a change in the electronic medical record where suddenly uh, a data element is, is changed and you don't know about it unless you have uh, on the ground kind of partnership. And also leadership changes are common as well as, as policy changes and, and, and challenges there. And then, then the point that David made uh, in talking about data, uh, one of our investigators, uh, Greg Simon, likes the the phase that researchers are not the dog, uh, we're the tail, and the tail doesn't wag the dog. And so for pragmatic trials to operate in a way that, that doesn't add to burden is absolutely critical. And granted, there almost always will be some added burden, but uh, the whole goal is, is to make them as efficient and seamless as possible. And the point that I learned over the years is that the researcher generally would like to do exactly what they want. And sometimes, uh, and I think the dementia field uh, has this trait, we would like as researchers to just somehow sit outside the system and do our study and then tell people what we found. Uh, the nature of a pragmatic trial is that it's embedded in the system. So you and doing a pragmatic trial are inevitably going to uh, rub shoulders and have a relationship and an effect on the system as you do the trial. And uh, that is sort of got to be uppermost in your mind, I think, as a researcher. The work that we're doing is very important, but it's not the goal of the delivery systems. The goal of the delivery systems is to take care of their patients and to do so in a way that is uh, fiscally responsible. So uh, th that's some of the things that we've learned. I probably could talk on forever, Vince, if you wanted me to, but uh, I think others have ideas too. <laughs> so Leah, could you uh, comment on that from your experience in, uh, at both at Partners as well as in the broader HCSRN? Yeah, maybe I'll share one example I had of working with our, our um, medical group and trying to add data collection point. And so when uh, Medicare annual wellness visits were started, our Center for Memory and Aging team worked with leadership to lobby to get them to include a standardized uh, assessment for cognitive function versus the question is, how, you know, how is your memory or have, you, you know, are you worried about your memory or anyone in your family? And so it was a complex process that actually took us 18 months of conversations 
Um, but we were successful in, in being able to influence the, the test that was used and to have a, a discrete data field, which meant we could pull it directly from the medical record. Once that happened, we were really excited, but the adoption of the wellness visit in our system was really low. So we were disappointed in the number of people that were um, being screened because they weren't doing this visit. And it wasn't until the payer, until um, Medicare uh, changed reimbursement policies that really leveraged our leaderships to say, if if we do this visit and if and if we're doing the annual physical, we're able to get higher reimbursement on care. So it it really I think um, points to the fact that policy or a, a quality measure or um, finances in terms of the payers hold a lot of influence over um, the amount of work that the the healthcare system is willing to do or to to add data elements. That's great. So. Um... David or Jeff, anything uh, else you'd like to comment on that uh, with regard to this question? I, I would just say like, uh, a word about uh, embedded pragmatic clinical trials, and I, I think I think there are two components to that. The first is about embedding the intervention, including identifying persons for the intervention, into uh, into clinical practice. Um, the second is uh, about embedding uh, outcomes into uh, already collected data, uh, and, and, and they're really separate, uh, separate uh, issues. I think that uh, we are much closer to the, the former about really being able to put changes into clinical practice uh, than we are with the latter about being able to extract outcomes. But that said, um, healthcare systems are really looking for better ways of doing things. And uh, Jeff talks about the win-win-win. Uh, better ways of doing things means both saving time, becoming more efficient, and also, uh, as Leah uh, referred to, is perhaps increasing revenue. Jeff, yeah. you, you want to give us an example for that? Sure. Uh, even before the example, maybe Vince, what I'll just say is, is that for, for, for young people, investigators listening to this podcast, I hope that none of this dissuades you. I think of the science of pragmatic trials, like, sort of like I think of how, how Watson and Crick must have felt, you know, back, uh, you know, 55, 60 years ago or more. You know, we're at the very beginning now. And so, you know, there's a lot of groundwork and the slow progress of science in this area is going to happen. Um, and sometimes I think those of us involved in clinical care, we're impatient to see uh, the whole genome sequence at one time, but it's not going to happen like that. So that's why this, this committee, is, this core is so important to help, help uh, investigators understand where the science is and how they can make important incremental contributions while at the same time still changing uh, patient care. And that sort of leads to that win-win-win. I think at all times, you as an investigator, your team, and and the leadership who are sponsoring your project need to understand, you know, what's a win for the patient, what's a win for science, and what's a win for the healthcare system. And uh, that win may be different now, just like it was for uh, the the DNA sequencing way back. That was a different kind of win. But the win and the win-win-win will change as time goes on. And uh, th this should, 
I hope that people are very excited to be in on the ground floor of this kind of work uh, that we're doing and we're talking about today. Great. Thank you very much. Um, Eric, any last comments before we turn it over to Aaron? I really uh, would like to endorse what Jeff just said. Uh, you know, we're, we're at the beginning of, of a new phase, I think, in uh, clinical research in general, the pragmatic clinical trial becoming more a coin of the realm than it has ever been in the past. But for our field, for the dementia care field, tremendous, tremendous uh, opportunities to contribute to knowledge and uh, the kind of knowledge that will make a difference in the long haul. And I think that's what draws most people to research in, in, in the medical field, which is how can we make a difference? And I really believe that in the next five to 10 years, the impact collaboratory by working with healthcare systems is going to make a huge difference in the lives of others. Thank you very much. I want to thank all four of you for your uh, great effort of putting your talks together and for this time in the question and answer period. Um, Eric, Leah, Jeff, David, um, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Vince. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's Impact Laboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Please be on the lookout for our next Grand Rounds and podcast next month.